Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 178 with Dodie Gilmer. I am excited to share with you someone I've just met this year and I've just been so impressed with her wisdom and her influence. I've really grown to trust and appreciate all that she brings to the table. And now I get to share some of that with all of you. So it is a fun day. You're going to learn all about leading without authority and how it's done in style. So you'll learn one. How studying a clear vision on tiny matters delivers huge benefits. Two, tactics for projecting powerful composure. And three, the value of using strong words and eliminating weak words in your communication. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep178. Now, here's Dodie's story. Dodie Gilmer believes far beyond technical potential. She's known as a talent builder. Dodie has over 25 years of corporate HR leadership experience. She inspires individuals to tap into their unique talent, to go beyond their technical expertise and develop as leaders, even if they never plan to become a manager. Whether it's a keynote address, leadership workshop, or as a succession planning consultant, Dodie provides the right tools to build leadership for both individuals and organizations. Here's Dodie. Dodie, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. Oh, well, I am looking forward to digging into your wisdom. And first, I want to hear a little bit more. You took a ride in an autonomous car years and years ago before it was as cool and common as it is today. What's the backstory there? I was the HR manager for our basically our R&D division of Caterpillar is all engineers and Dartmouth was holding a competition and they brought these autonomous vehicles in the parking lot. And my husband, who also works at Cat, we put our hands up. We said, sure, we'll go on a ride. Now, you know, I have a lot of nieces and nephews, so I've been in the back seat of new drivers. <laughs> so I have a high respect for engineers. I really do and what they're capable of. And this was actually much more comfortable than being in the car with a 15-year-old. All right. <laughs> High praise. And how long ago was this? It was more than 10 years ago. That is wild. Well, they're coming up. It's, I'm really looking forward to the day. Allegedly, in three years, Audi will release its first autonomous vehicle to the public. And I just think that'd be super convenient to be driven around <laughs> all the time by a robot. Right. They say that children under the age of three will not be taking driver's ed. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I don't think that's bad. <laughs> We get past those awkward periods. And so, well, hey, speaking of young people, and I want to get your take. You have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to leading without authority, which is often common amongst folks in the, maybe the first decade of their careers, or maybe sometimes their whole careers in terms of you got to make something happen and you are committed or you own the result, but you maybe don't own the resources, the power to command and to direct and supervise the folks who do the stuff necessary to get it done. I think that's a common challenge with many maybe project manager roles and software and in other industries. And you got some perspective on this, maybe to open us up, tell us, how do you think about in general leading without authority? Well, 
I really do believe there's only a small population that gets the privilege of going off to some leadership camp or leadership program. But the reality is, no matter if you're in the first phase of your career or the second or third phase of your career, there are things that you have to do and you have to ask other people to get things done to a certain level of standard. So almost every profession has a standard. Engineering has their standards. HR has, and a lot of it is driven by compliance. Accounting has accounting standards. And so here you are, you might be in the first phase of your career. You might have been working for five years and you're going to have to try to get people to get something done according to this standard, but you have no stripes. You're not their supervisor. You're not their manager. In fact, you're the junior in that role. And so I liked the words that you used when you opened this up and it was, you own your job. So before we get to the tools, do a level set and have that honest conversation with yourself. You own the job. So own it. All right. And behave like you own it, but also have a perspective of, I'm going to be the solution for the issues that surface. So you have to understand the business. You have to understand your role. You don't want to keep your head in just the Wall Street Journal. I mean, you have to know what's what are the problems for your role, for your division, your department, and maybe for your business or maybe your industry. You have to have some understanding. So before we get to the tools, you've got to own your job and you have the perspective of, I'm going to be the solution or I'll help find the solution to some of the issues that surface. Okay, that makes great sense. So you got that first perspective, that bedrock conviction that's there. And then what? I think one of the strongest tools that you can start practicing today is setting a clear vision. And, you know, when you hear that, it sounds like such a buzzword. And it's like, isn't that for executives? Don't executives set the vision statement and the mission statement at a very strategic level, a global view, a global footprint? Well, actually, every individual in every role can become really good at setting a vision. And it's amazing when you do that, people want to follow you. And it's in the simple things example of you're the one that's going to get the rental car to take three or four colleagues on a road trip for a three-hour drive. And it's just a very simple thing that you say, okay, so here's how this is going to work. We're going to meet at seven. Everyone bring your coffee. It's a three-hour drive. We'll make one stop at an hour and a half. We only have this much room for luggage, so don't bring too much. And you you just say, and here's how this is going to work. You lay out a plan. And if you do that verbally or in an email or with a picture, people like clarity. They don't like Mm -hmm. to show up and be at the side door while everyone else is at the front door and there's no room in the trunk for their belongings. They want clarity and they'll admire and respect you for having it. So it can be very simple in day-to-day activities. We say, okay, here's how this is going to work or here's the plan. Okay. What I like about that is, you know, the word vision really does sound so lofty. As you said, it sounds like that's something, you know, Steve Jobs, that <laughs> Tim Cook, yeah. visionary leaders of the most esteemed organizations have. But you're saying, hey, hey, it still counts as vision setting if you're saying what the game plan is for the rental car. Let me give you a bigger example on a wider approach. This was an individual that is an environmentalist, had an advanced degree, started with a large company, and within a year was assigned to a smaller facility with some environmental health and safety projects. And some of the folks in that facility started elbowing her and teasing her that they didn't think her projects were going to get done because of the budget. 
because they didn't impact the bottom line. She was certainly the junior person and age usually doesn't matter, but I'm telling you, she hadn't reached her 24th birthday yet. Okay. <laughs> and there are a lot of senior people in this facility and she kept her eye on the ball. She owned the job. She knew what had to be done and she kept putting the plans together for some highly complex projects. And by the way, the majority of the projects were for the land around the facility. Okay. Like for a new access road, some drainage, things environmental like that. Well, so here comes her opportunity. She's asked to get the company van ready and on Friday pick up some senior leaders, including a vice president, and bring them to the facility for this big meeting. And by the way, if she wanted, she could drive them around the perimeter of the facility and showcase one of her environmental projects. Oh, nice. Well, she had been trained in not just in technical, but she was trained to set a good vision. And so she created, and by the way, this is in Microsoft Word. You don't have to go spend money on this. Mm. She created a trifold brochure. Okay. And she downloaded Google Maps. She customized and put specifically like a key to terms where all her projects were and then did these here's why statement. So when she picked them up in the van, she brought them to the facility. She drove them around, handed them brochure. And from a downward view, they could picture the parameter of the building. And she told them the importance of each one of her projects. Like, here's why it's important to have an access road. So people that are transporting chemicals. And that is setting a very clear vision. And the vice president, I believe, said, I can't imagine anyone not getting a budget for all these projects. <laughs> right? And you're talking, she's not a senior employee. She's very new. And she set a very clear vision. Now, I think those are good examples of vision. But the other thing that she maintained was composure. Tell me more. Yes. She had a steadiness to her voice and she made sure that politically she wasn't stepping. There was no complaining. There was no whining like, yeah, well, I don't know if I'll ever get these approved. There were no editorials. The tone wasn't there. She simply presented projects with a brochure. She kept it simple. She kept it high level. Anyone would be interested in what she had to say. Oh, thank you. And the composure, Dodie, I know is one of your signature areas of expertise. So I'd like to touch on that for a moment in terms of, you know, why is it important and how can we project it? In one word, credibility. All right. And I did a workshop on composure for some University of Illinois students and a couple of them were pre-med. So I just asked them, I said, you tell all of us, how long does it take you from a physiological perspective to settle down after somebody has rattled you. Mm. And so just from a physiological perspective. And so if you're in a meeting or you're in the workplace and somebody does an attack, a verbal attack question, you know, and you're angry about it. And the way the pre-med students described it at a minimum, it would take 45 minutes because what's happening is the flight or fight mechanism, the way you're designed. So you, all the blood is going to your legs so you can run or the blood is going and all your energy is going to your arms so you can fight. Therefore, you don't really have much going on up in the head part of you know your brain. So you can't be rational. So if you think about it from physiologically, you're not rational, then you've got to start practicing. This sounds crazy, but start practicing gaining composure quickly. 
mm-hmm. shortening that time frame. And there's a, a number of ways to do it, but certainly things irritate you at least once a week, maybe once a day. <laughs> and you just have to stop and start working toward how long is that going to keep me up? Am I going to lose a night's sleep over it? Is it going to be the whole weekend? Am I still going to be pounding my hand on the table next week? And you just write a goal that you're going to shorten that time frame. And some people get into some mindfulness tricks, and I won't get into that today. I'm not an expert in that field. But, you know, a way to meditate, you'll find your own way. But I do know for certain that you don't have the luxury of settling down in 45 minutes. You have to shorten it. And one way to do that is to acknowledge it. And you may want to write it in white font. Mm -hmm. This person makes me angry. I'm frustrated. I'm really frustrated. Acknowledge it. And then say, wait a minute. What if I just write down, listen and respond to maybe postpone the discussion or what would success look like? And you start visualizing success. What if we did this this way? What if I could convince him to do it this way? What if I could get the conversation to go this way? You have to picture something successful so that you can turn off the anger. Understood. Okay. That's great stuff in terms of the composure, you know, that's there. You've mentioned practicing setting a vision and putting that forward. You know, are there additional things I'm thinking about maybe in the realm of maybe even particular, you know, verbiage, word choice in terms of, you know, key questions or scripts that folks who are leading without authority might also be able to use to be effective in their interactions there? You know, Pete, when you sign up for a new app, and you have to sign in and put in a new password, it immediately lets you know whether that password is strong or weak. Yeah. Right? It won't let you go any further until you strengthen that password, particularly like with your bank. Mm -hmm. Your bank is not going to let you put, you know, one, two, three, go, right? (laughs) Yeah, password, right? And I really think it's time for us to think about the words that we choose and determine are they strong, are they weak? And since most of us send some emails still today, it's probably the first place to start when you look at your emails and you think, okay, did I use strong words or weak words? And it's become like a student of it. And when somebody says, we need to get the budget in by Tuesday, all spreadsheets need to be updated by Monday night. Here's the steps to do it. That's really clear and it's strong enough. You don't need it much stronger than that. But when mm-hmm. somebody says, I kind of sort of need everyone to work together because maybe it's possible that we sort of could, you know, oh, my goodness, the preambles of I, I'm so sorry that I have, you know, it weakens the message. And you can start by looking at emails, but you can also just pause and listen to your what you just said compared to what other people are saying. And There are, I think in our U.S. culture, we have taught some of us to speak in a more passive, weaker tone in some of our cultures to be polite. And the example I give, and I don't like to pick on them because I support them, is the Girl Scouts. Okay. The Girl Scout honor. Were you a Boy Scout, Pete? I don't know this. You know, I was a... That's a longer story, <laughs> but I was a Cub Scout. I went through the Weebelows, the intermediate phase. Yeah. And then when I joined a full-blown Boy Scout troop, it just seemed like we had a lot of meetings and weren't doing as much fun stuff. And I lost interest pretty quickly. So my brother was an Eagle Scout. And um, 
I barely got started on the Boy Scouts proper. Well, and it makes a difference in, you know, what's going on at that yeah. time. Well, I had an opportunity many years ago to be involved with the Society of Women Engineers, and we did this program on diversity. And one of the things that came up was on communications. And I was giving this example to the leader of SWE, is that the Boy Scouts have an oath. Mm -hmm. The Girl Scouts have a pledge or a promise. And so coming from a large family, my brothers are Boy Scouts, some of my sisters were Girl Scouts. I got allergy shots. That's what I got to do for my extracurricular activity. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't a scout. So I heard the pledges. And so if you think about the word oath compared to promise, oath is what the president takes. You're right. You know, promise maybe is more honest, but it's not as strong as oath. And then when you hear the Boy Scout, on my honor, I will serve God in my country. And the Girl Scouts is on my honor, I will try. Is it really? Yes. I don't think I ever knew that. I haven't Googled it in a few months. I should go back and Google it. And I need to get a hold of the Girl Scouts so we can talk about it. But here's the thing. So now we've taught girls to speak that way. And we also have taught all of us to expect girls to speak that way. So that if you have a woman in the workplace that says, I suggest we take 20% off the budget versus should we try to take 20% off the budget? I mean, you expect an adult to say, I recommend 20% off the budget. Now, should we try? You know, who do you want as a neurosurgeon? I will try <laughs> or I will. I, you know, I don't know if it really stems from the scouts, but I do think, and it's not all just a gender. It's in our cultures, where we come from, what part of the country we're from. But I do think as adults, we need to make sure that we don't have a bias when we hear someone talk with strong terms, not aggressive, but strong terms, that that's okay, that that's okay. That's what we expect of them. We don't expect the weaker words in the workplace. It, they matter. And filler words, let's stay there for a second. The ahs and the ums and, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, right, right, you know, right. Yeah, the, all those filler words weaken a statement. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I, you know, my buddy Connor and I, we've got a joke. I don't know where it came from, but I think it was some interaction I had when I was an intern in college. And so the joke we use that kind of illustrates that point is we'd say, so are you guys inspired by my vision or... <laughs> It's like, it just doesn't kind of fit the so and the or elongation and the intonations when there's a strong sentence about being inspired by a vision. And so maybe could you help calibrate us a little bit, Dodie, in terms of, I don't know, maybe some common pieces of workplace communication. And if you could give us a little bit of a taste for a sentence articulation that is, you know, too weak, too intense and perfectly strong in the middle. Okay. I'd like to give just an example of right. people showing up to meetings. I've seen people come to a meeting and say, now I have a hard stop at four o'clock. They don't pound their hand on the table and say, I have a hard stop at four o'clock. They just say, I have a hard stop at four. The meeting was supposed to end at four and they showed up early enough at quarter to three. The meeting starts at three and they say, I have a hard stop at four. It's just very polite. To me, it's very professional and it's very clear and it's strong. All right. Everyone understands it. To me, that is right on the money. And then you have someone come in with, 
I'm so sorry I'm late. Uh, well, you know, I, I have to, and you know, I, I've, I've got to leave here early because I've got to take my son to soccer. And the last time we went down to Atwater Drive, he got sick in the back seat. And boy, it was that a mess because the dog was back there. And, and so <laughs> if I leave here, and so throughout the meeting, you hear, I have a question and you probably already talked about it because I was late. Right. All that stuff is just distracting. Okay. But it's certainly okay to say, apologies, everyone, for being late. And I will be taking off at four. Any assignments, let me know. And I'll circle back with Joe to make sure I've got it. You know, it's just, it's a politeness, but people don't really need to hear about the backseat. Understood. Yeah, right. No backseat. Right. No one wants to hear that, right? And I think it's that very first thing that we said, Pete, is own your job, know what's going on in the business, and be the solution. And if you're so focused on that, I think communication follows. But if you're focused on yourself about where you're going afterwards or about you want to be heard. And so I know you asked for a really strong one. I just gave an example of I have a hard stop at four. That works. I think it's just a very strong one. And then a lot of the preambles of this is a stupid question or maybe you've already talked about this and I don't want to confuse things. Don't set that, don't put that on someone's brain that you are causing confusion. So here's the, what I have found, let me back up here. What I have found with people that are handling compliance, they have to deliver bad news. They have to say, we're being audited. I need to prepare you for an audit. There is a crisis. Let's say there's a chemical spill or there's an accounting issue with the SEC, you know, <laughs> people in compliance roles. I think they think when they deliver a message, they're considered trouble. Right. Oh, here she comes, trouble. And I actually think from a communication perspective, they should frame it up. And I think this is what you're asking. They should frame it up before there is a crisis. So if, so I just said so. <laughs> when I meet you, Pete, and you are my manager for the first time, and I'm the compliance person that's handling your compliance issues, I will say to you, Pete, what I'm known for is putting issues on the table and putting on the table clearly and concisely. When I call you and tell you I need to put something on the table, that's the cue that there's an issue that we need to discuss. Now, how did that sound to you? If I were working for you, how does that sound to you? Are you threatened by it? Are you? It's funny. You know, my reaction is like, well, okay, then, <laughs> is sort of how I'm feeling there. Is it insulting? Do I feel like I'm being, is it no, a No, it's play? not insulted. It's just like you have asserted yourself. And I guess my thought is, if I have a problem with anything you've said, I'll let you know. And I'll say, you know, well, Dodie, <laughs> you know, like the worst case response, I think of you say, like, well, Dodie, I appreciate you being forthright with me in these matters. I would... However, alert you that sometimes it might take me a couple of days to be able to schedule the time to address the issue. So if it's super urgent, please flag it as such so I can respond accordingly because my default will be to assume everything can wait 24 or 48 hours when you bring it to my attention. Yeah. So you just took it to the best level of all is to give someone choices on how it's going to manage. But I like it that we are setting a framework on how we're going to work together and get rid of that perspective of I'm the troublemaker. 
I've heard that from environmental health and safety professionals before, that they say, oh, when they see me coming, they think, oh boy, here comes trouble. There's probably something wrong from an environmental perspective, or maybe there's been a safety issue, maybe there's an injury. And so they only see trouble walking down the hall. But if you set it up long before saying, so here's the parameters when I'm known for putting issues on the table. And, you know, we're not talking whistleblowers here. We're talking mm-hmm. about everyday professionals that need to bring an issue up when the whole group says we should do plan A and you really think people need to look at plan B. You want to be able to speak up. And even if you're the solo person and feel comfortable, say, hey, I'd like to put something on the table. All right. And that is professional. It's not attacking anyone. But the coolest thing is if you've already had that cup of coffee with your peers, with your manager, to say, I love it that we work in a place where if I need to, I can put something on the table. You know, it's a phrase that is not threatening. It's not saying, well, I want you to hear what I think about this. You know, it's the tone. But it's almost letting people know that that's cue for this is going to go against what everyone else is saying. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That is good. Thank you. you know, I can't help it. When you say here comes trouble, I'm thinking of the office and the acapella group called Here Comes Trouble. Yeah. If you, if you, saw, <laughs> if you saw that one. Uh, so, I'm known for singing a doo-wop tune when I show yeah. up. <laughs> that's what I'm known for. <laughs> yep. Don't get me singing. <laughs> well, please, if you're feeling it, don't let me hold you yeah. back. So all right, these are some great principles. First, mindset, own it. Behave like you own it. Second, practice setting that vision even in small things. The composure is credibility. Use strong words over weak words. Any final principle or two that you'd like to highlight about leading without authority? I'm going to say practice it. And I know people say, well, I'm not a supervisor. So how do I practice this? You can practice it in the community in which you serve. So those volunteer organizations, if it's putting a 4th of July event on for the Boys and Girls Club, you can practice by doing the setup or the teardown by setting a really clear vision, having concise communication, some strong words. And you'll get feedback. You can even practice it with your friends if you're all planning a trip. You can be the one to say, hey, let me organize this. And I didn't know we were going to do that. I didn't know it was going to cost 50 bucks. I didn't know that ticket was 75. Or they say, hey, this is great. He's got this planned so well. I knew exactly what I owed. I knew what I had to do. I knew how much luggage to bring. And I know there's a lot of people in large cities that share a house and there's three or four roommates. Yeah. You know, some professionals are doing that. Be the one to manage the finances and get all the utilities and you can set the vision. Hey, we're going to pay our utilities and our rent two days early. That's how this is going to work. And here's how it's going to work. And if you're still using regular old fashioned checks, write me out 12 checks. I'll put them in the strong, you know, the <laughs> lockbox. And that way I always have your check because late is not part of this vision that I'm setting. You know, you won't use the word vision, but there are so many different ways, whether it's a family event, if you're getting ready to put together a celebration for your grandparents for their anniversary and you need to collect pictures. Some people can cause a lot of confusion and other people you just watch it and it's just so clear. I, certainly this is starting to sound like project management, but it's setting that vision that people will want to do things with you. I'd like to add, when we want to become stronger in any aspect of leadership, especially leadership without authority or leading without stripes, 
there's three ways. And one is what we just talked about is practicing it. You have to practice it. The other is picking up some articles or listening to Pete's podcast on it, right? I mean, this is is really good (laughs) material. But the round off, the tipping point to really become excellent is by getting feedback from someone, deliberate feedback, have a role model that you're watching, maybe ask a mentor specifically on setting vision or getting people to get things done, and then picking up some articles. The last one is giving people choices. And I love this example of when some leaders had to get some complex data in a spreadsheet, and it was a junior HR person that needed them to all put this data, confidential red, you know, confidential in a spreadsheet, and came to me and said, they're not doing it. I had to have this all on, you know, on Monday for the technical people, and no one turned it in. I hate to say it, but sometimes when a junior person sends an email in all caps and says, (laughs) action required by Monday, you know, and I said, let's give them a choice. No, there's no choice. They have to have it done by this date. I said, okay, but let's think about giving them a choice. And here's what we did. And she ended up doing it. It turned out really well. Sent an invitation, but inside the invitation and says, we need the spreadsheet. And here's why that here's why is so important kept it very clear. So I'm putting on a one-hour workshop if you want to come by conference room 305 and I can walk you through how we put this complex data set into that spreadsheet with that pivot table. It'll just take an hour or I'm doing a 15-minute call on Friday at two or open up this document and it's got the three-step process on how to fill out that data set. All right. And guess which choice they picked? Oh, the short one. And it was done within (laughs) hours hours. (laughs) Hours. <laughs> so to round it off for you, Pete, I think giving people choices and you're getting it done, right? You're getting it done. And nobody wants to come to an hour meeting on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. That's excellent. All right. Well, now, Dodie, let's hear about some of your favorite things here. Could you start us off by sharing a favorite quote? Oscar Wilde. Some people cause happiness wherever they go and some people when they go. Oh. In the professional workplace, our job really, most of us, yours is, but most of us, our job isn't to make people happy. But what about developing others? You know, when we develop others, that's just a real legacy. Mm -hmm. But when we leave, if people are growing after we leave, because we laid that foundation for them, imagine what the world is going to be like. But there are some people after they leave, things are better because they're gone. (laughs) That's not a good thing. All right. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Yeah, I'm a reader. I just, well, I like your podcast. I'm a connector. Lately, I've been gravitating toward that book, and I've had it for many years, but I spend more time on it now, is Strength Finders. Mm-hmm. Just because many of my clients have told me that that's what they're using and how they're benefiting. You know, there's a danger in it that you start labeling people, but I really think when we acknowledge that we all have strengths, and if we use those strengths, there can be some value. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? A Father's Tale. It literally fell off the bookshelf. I was looking mm. for another author. I'd read a write-up on a book, and it was one of those shelves where you had to get down on your knees because the books were stuck together. And I went uh, yeah, a little bit irritated. I was keeping uh-huh. my composure, though, Pete, and <laughs> no one was around. 
And when I went to pull the book, A Father's Tale fell out and it was like 1,100 pages and I'm trying to put it back in the shelf and I looked at it, I read it, the back of it, and I thought, huh. And now it is like my all-time favorite, favorite book. Wow. Well, that sounds providential. What was a key takeaway that was transformational for you? There were many, many, but it was really a father's quest to find his son it took him places that he didn't really have any desire to go. There was a lot of danger involved. It was around the world. He ended up being held prisoner in China, but he persevered and he really was just comfortable in his little bookshop in Canada and in his own little world, but it forced him to go out. It's just, it's what we expect of a, a parent's love. Mm, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Right now in my business, Doodle. And it's just that very simple scheduling tool. When you're trying to get five, six, seven people to agree on one day for a, an hour meeting, and you just send out this doodle and people vote and you've got it done. A lot of calendaring systems work that way, but not all of us are on the same calendaring system. So yeah. doodle does it for me. Okay. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours? Staying in touch with people that mean the most to me. And I tend to I know that everyone says, you know, you have a reason to be in someone's life. Sometimes it's just for a season. But I am from a very large family, and my husband and I have our two sons, and we are all about experiences as gifts instead of packages. And so when our youngest son went away to college, he gave me the architectural tour, walking tour for Chicago as a gift. And it was brilliant because we had conversations about architecture that led into other conversations, the four of us, that never would have taken place, I don't think. And what a gift. And now I don't have a closet that I have to clean out because there isn't stuff in a closet. <laughs> oh, excellent. And is there a particular nugget that when you share it, people seem to really connect and resonate, taking notes and retweeting and such? It's owning your job. It leads to so many different conversations. There are some people that are assertive and they know that they own it, but I've done a whole series on owning your career, owning your job, and it's really being the solution and making other people successful. So I even have that on my card, make others successful today. That's how I was raised. My mother, both my parents, but my mom worked full time, raised 10 children, ran for public office, not once, <laughs> but twice. I mean, she's an amazing woman, retired at the age of 75, you know, but very hard worker, very charismatic. But her comments to me throughout my life was, you make others successful. You make the birthday girl smile. You make the bride make sure that's her day. You make sure you never tell an engineering joke. When I was the HR manager for engineers, <laughs> it was all about making others successful. And when I say own your own job, and if you do that with your idea of you're going to make other people successful, your self-doubts start to disappear. It's amazing the combination of the two. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? dgomer.com. So it, it, you Google Dodie Gomer, a couple of different things come up, but the best thing is to go to the website. Very good. When you say a couple of things come up, I like, is there the Dodie Gomer singing song and dance routine? Or? No, I, I really don't <laughs> sing. I'm sure my sisters are going to laugh at that one. There'll be videos forthcoming. There's a couple of videos out there, but not, uh, yeah. Right now, it's just the website with a couple of small vignettes. All right. And do you have a particular challenge or call to action you'd leave folks with who are seeking to be awesome at their jobs? 
Well, I say it's create a leadership legacy. So it's actually the word call. And, you know, even if you never want to be a supervisor, you say that management isn't for me. I'm a technical person. I just want to do my job. But really think about developing your leadership. If you looked at your library today, whether it be your e-library, your podcast list, is it all on your technical? Grow your leadership strengths. And so create a leadership legacy. And one way to do it is to take time for other people to help develop them. Even if it's in their technical skill, that's a leadership legacy. So create, imagine your last day and somebody's holding up a glass or a cup of coffee to toast you. What would it be on? What would they toast you on? So call to action, C-A-L-L, create a leadership legacy. Okay, thank you. Well, Dodie, this has been such a treat. I wish you lots of luck and all that you're up to. Thank you, Pete. This was fun. I got such a kick out of the rental car example because it seems like whatever. I just get a rental car. We're showing up. We're doing it. It's all good. No need to overthink it. It can be a natural response. And yet at the same time, if that's the scope of your responsibilities, that is the way to show that you're a rock star baller on top of it in terms of that just fantastic, hey, I've thought through all of this. And then it's sort of like, hmm, if we can trust this person in these small matters, then maybe we can very well amp up their opportunities. So I got a real kick out of that. It's almost like over communicating or overthinking an area of expertise or responsibility to set that vision for a tiny thing and it can grow and grow. So I thought that was pretty handy and I hope you dug it too. Again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we referenced here, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep178. And I hope you'll push subscribe so you'll hear from our next guest. It's Dr. Alan Mink. He is a well-decorated colonel who has some grand expertise when it comes to making dramatic career shifts. So hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 